0: Um, I don't know about you, but I love traveling. I love going to different countries, cities, eating different foods, meeting different people, listening to different stories. And I think that the reason for that in my life was that I was raised in between cultures. Some of you know this about me, some of you don't, but um, I lived in the United States pretty much until the end of fourth grade, then went back to uh, Brazil, uh, was there up until college, met Beth. We got married, moved to Charlotte, was there for five years. Then we, actually less than that, it was probably like four years. Then we moved back to Brazil. Now we were there for five years. And then we've been in Miami now for 15 years. So my life has been back and forth. And I, um always felt like a fish out of water, whether I was in one country or another, one culture or another, I always felt it was sort of different. I know that here in Miami, this has been a common experience for a lot of you, so you know what I'm talking about here. But in my teenage years, I read this book titled Third World, or no, not Third World, although I was born in the third world, um, (laughs) Third Cultured Kids, and it explained uh, the person, helped me to explain the person uh, who I was. And so when I lived, for instance, in Charlotte, North Carolina, the culture was very different than Miami. It was uh, very homogenic and uh, at church in our neighborhood. So, uh, the place that I had to uh, experience a little bit of transcultural uh, nature and a space was to go to the park where they had the soccer pickup games. And I'm a horrible soccer player, so those of you who have played um, with me and as a Brazilian, that's a source of shame—a deep source of shame. <laughs> but I just love to be there, being pe- with people of different cultures, different countries, and just having conversations and listening to their stories. I, I I love that. I think traveling is important. It does that to us. If you have not traveled, traveled more, uh, or start traveling, uh, there's that saying that says that the book is a, uh, the world is a book, and if you don't travel, you just read one page right? It's important to travel to get other people's perspective. But I think that the most type of, most, most important type of travel is, is not the geographic type of travel where I leave my city, my home and go elsewhere, but it's the ability to do soul travel, it's the ability to uh, leave the self-indulgement of your own soul and universe and enter someone else. And I know that many of us here today do not have that capacity for soul travel. To leave your own world, the confines and the comforts of your own world and universe, and enter into someone else's. Uh, but when we read the gospel accounts, that's what we see Jesus doing the most. And Jesus does this at best. He has this ability to enter into someone else's space, soul space, and uh, learn about their fears, their pain, and their longings, and address it adequately. Uh, The most important characteristics that our relationships need in order to thrive is the ability to do soul travel, is to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and to see things from their perspective. Uh, The majority of our conflict comes because we lack this inability for soul travel. Yet Jesus does this so well. And he encourages us to do the same, to move in that direction uh, so that we will thrive in the context of our relationships and as humans. So I want to invite you to read this story, which is one of the most beautiful stories in the gospel accounts. And we read about Jesus' ability to do just what I was talking to you about, and it provides us some wisdom and encouragement of how to move forward in that same direction. So uh, Luke chapter 13, we're going to read verses 10 through 17. Now, Jesus, Jesus was teaching on one of the synagogues on the Sabbath And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered to him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. And this is the word of the Lord. I hope hope that by now you understand that what I am talking about in terms of soul travel is what we know commonly as the ability to exercise empathy, and if you're here today and you don't know what empathy really is and and how to exercise or to show empathy towards others, especially within the framework of the gospel, that's what this sermon is about. Uh, today we're going to talk about what is empathy. We're going to clarify that. Uh, secondly, we're going to try to understand why it does not come that natural to us. Why do we have such a hard time with being empathetic towards others? But then lastly, let's end with a note of hope. How can we create more capacity in order to exercise empathy in the same way that Jesus did? So uh, first, what is empathy? I, I think that empathy cannot be confounded with sympathy, although sympathy exists within the world of empathy, but it's not the same thing. Uh, What we read here in this story is uh, this woman uh, had a problem. She had a physical ailment, a physical condition that kept her in a bent over position. And she walked as a bent over person, as you probably have seen around in the city just this past week. I was driving in Coconut Grove and I saw in Kennedy Park and there was a bent over woman carrying a bag and walking with the help of a cane. We've seen that before. So this is what we read in this passage, that there was this woman and she attended this local church. A synagogue is nothing more than the gathering uh, of the people of God on the Sabbath day. This is what we are doing here today. We are gathered on the Sabbath day. The people of God gathered then and still gathers to this day to receive instruction from the Lord and to apply it in to their daily lives. We're here receiving instruction from God and applying it to our daily lives. And we're here also to offer our sincere worship to God, to the triune God, which is something that they did back then as well. They were there for worship. They were there to learn. They were there for fellowship. And in that church, in that community, in that particular town, there was this woman that had that condition and she attended that church for many years, probably for 18 years. She was there with that condition and she had gone unnoticed. And I'm sure that the people of her community had sympathy towards her. They never kicked her out, even though the text tells us that the reason for her physical condition was a spiritual one. We read in verse 11, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years, okay? And Jesus later on says that Satan had bound her for 18 years. So there was a woman, there was that problem, spiritual condition, and people probably walked by her and said hello to her and thought to themselves, Oh, poor woman, maybe said, I know this is hard, this is bad. Acknowledging someone's pain is not empathy, it is sympathy. Empathy is the ability to enter this sacred space where people are uh, living in a context of pain or in darkness. And you're not just able to say, hey, what you're going through is horrible, but it's to say, hey, I have experienced that before. I've been there. Can I sit down with you? Can I spend time with you? Is to enter someone else's world and inhabit it for a moment so that a connection, a powerful connection, is formed. You know, there's some specialists that have written about empathy, and they say that empathy has four characteristics. Uh, the first characteristic is the ability to have perspective on what's happening and what's going on in someone else's life, it's to acknowledge and to recognize that they're going through a tough season, that they're hurting, that they are in pain. Then secondly, it's the ability to avoid judgment whenever you have that type of perspective. And I know that this is very, very hard because we usually have an opinion of why someone is going through what they're going through in life. Thirdly, it's about recognizing the pain that they are experiencing and saying it to them. But then fourthly, sitting or touching, reaching out and doing something about it. See, this is exactly what we see Jesus doing here. What the community was unable to notice, the perspective that the community lacked, Jesus now had a perspective of what was going on in this woman. And not only that, but Jesus does not cast any judgment towards this woman as he interacts with her. He could have said, yeah, the reason why you are this way is because of certain sins that you have committed or sins that your fathers have committed. But Jesus refrains from casting any judgment to this woman as he interacts with her. He enters into her space. In fact, he asks her to come close and to draw near. And then he touches this woman, and then he heals this woman. For a moment, Jesus entered her reality and ministers to her in the context of her reality. This is what empathy is all about. Empathy is not finding someone else's problem, it's not observing someone else's pain and coming up with solutions or offering pity. No, it's establishing this connection because at the end of the day, what heals is not our pity towards people, what heals is not our solutions to their problems. Remember Job's friends? That's what they did when Job was suffering. These miserable counselors, they all had opinions and solutions to his problem. What heals is the connection that is established. I remember one time hearing about this person who had gone through a lot of pain and suffering in their life due to a great loss. And that person was reporting the fact that when they were hurting in the first few days, there's a lot of people that walked through the doors of their home and offered help. And that person said, and in those days, uh, there were two kinds of people. There were those that walked through the doors of my home, and sometimes they brought even food, and they sat next to me, and you know, and they tried to encourage me with uh, psychology tips or Bible verses, and they spoke, and they spoke, and those people, I couldn't wait to see them go. But then there were others. Sometimes they walked in through the doors, and they were at the time empty-handed, And they came close and they had no words, but they just sat down next to me and to those, I pray to God, please do not let them go. See, empathy is a core value of the gospel. That's why we see this constantly in the life of Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this For we do not have a high priest in Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Had God not empathized with us, he would not have done what he did, which was to take upon himself flesh and to come live within the context of our reality and identify with us in our suffering. But that's what the creator God of the universe said. And I did, and and I think that that's important because some of us uh, go through life and as we are suffering, as we're going through pain, we look up to the heavens and we say, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. God says, I do. I took on flesh and every pain that you have experienced and every temptation that you've been through, I've been through with it myself. So you can come and share with me. And I am willing to sit with you. That's why I came to you. It's the core value. It's a core value of the gospel, this idea of empathy and empathy is ultimately the highest form of intelligence. You know, we read here in this passage that you had these religious leaders, the pastor, the elders of the church, they knew the Old Testament, they knew the law. In fact, they quoted the law to Jesus to reprimand Jesus for what he had just done, but they forgot that the law was created for the sake of people, not the other way around. And even though they had a lot of biblical or theological knowledge, they had no knowledge of the condition of people, even the very close to them in their community. And the ability to understand what people are going through is is a gift that is available to us through the spirit that connects us. It's the highest form of intelligence and, and, and it's what's absolutely needed for communities to thrive. You know why? Because... A community where, is, where there's a lot of empathetic people is a community of, of generosity. It's a community of compassion. It's a community uh, of perseverance. And, and it's a community of safety. Because when there's empathy in the context of a community, people say, hey, I can open myself up. I will know that I will be understood and uh, that, that people will identify with what I am going through. I, I can do that because I know that there is no judgment. I know that there is generosity, that there is grace. And when they go through it again, they say, I will do the same thing because had I not done that the previous time, I wouldn't have made it through. It generates resilience and perseverance in the face of pain. People are in deep need of compassion. And this is what we are called to be as the body of Christ. As Jesus ministered this way, we are called to minister in the same fashion so that there could be health in our families, and our marriages, so there could be health in our church community, so that there can be health in our neighborhoods and in our city and in beyond but it's not something that comes easy and naturally to us right i said this this is not something that it's easy for us you know it didn't come easy for that community as well that community of faith that that woman had been inserted for 18 years why because of sin in our hearts As Martin Luther, the reformer, used to say, we are incurvatus in se, meaning we are curved in on ourselves. And so I think that this is uh, an interesting parallel because if that is true, then there's not just one type of bent over, hunchback person in this story. There's another type as well. There's the woman, obviously, who has a physical condition, but here is the stiff Religious community. That the only thing that they can see is themselves, is their feet, is their works. They are curved in on itself. The human condition creates the inability to identify with others, to sense the pain of others, to make a, a movement towards healing others because all we can see is is ourselves. You know that the opposite to empathy is narcissism. Narcissism is the opposite of empathy. As a matter of fact, you can measure your level of narcissism by measuring your level of empathy towards others. Are you able to sense other people's pain? Are you able to sense other people's anguish? Do you have the ability to enter that space? Or are you repulsed by the grotesqueness of whatever is happening in their lives? And the natural reaction that you have is to turn your faces. What is it? Do you know the story of Narcissus, the Greek mythological story of Narcissus? Narcissus was a Greek warrior, and he was obsessed with beauty. He pursued beauty at all costs. And he could never enter any relationship that was substantial because he always saw himself as superior to others. He thought that he was the most beautiful person in the universe. And that no one measured up to his level of beauty. Until one day, he was walking around, and he walks by this pond, and he sees... A creature that he had never seen before. A beautiful creature. And he stops and he sees that this creature is in the water. It's a reflection of his own image. And so he jumps in pursuit of that. And he drowns in his own image. Now now some of you are not familiar with this story. But you're familiar with the experience of drowning in your own image. This is a hard statement. But it is true. And... Uh, what, what also does not help is uh, a world that we live in which is hostile to God. It, it's, it's not only a problem because uh, we are naturally predisposed just to focus on ourselves, but we live in a godless culture, which the Bible calls the world, that tells you and encourages you just to focus on yourself. I mean, think about the times in which we live in. Just go into social media, Facebook and Twitter. I left Twitter a long time ago because it became a place of warfare, of people with different ideas that belittled others made in the image of God for the sake of their own reputation and for the sake of their own image. They've offended others and they continue to do so. We have become completely obsessed with the way in which we live and our ideals, and the other has become the enemy. We have failed to empathize with different points of views, different life realities, different cultures. We live in an extremely polarizing time, and I believe that we also live in a city which is the epicenter of narcissism. Just a couple weeks ago, there was a survey that was released uh, by the American Corps and the U.S. Census Bureau measuring the level of volunteerism in major metropolitan areas in the United States. You have formal volunteering and informal volunteering. Let me explain to you how this works. Formal volunteering is you join a cause or an initiative and you give up your time and your money. So, hey, let's, uh, let's serve alongside Touching Miami with Love, you join that. That's formal volunteerism. Informal volunteerism is helping your neighbor. Your, your neighbor has been diagnosed with cancer and you're serving them meals. Uh, you know, somebody's been in an accident, you're taking care of the kids. This is informal volunteerism. Now look at this, just a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, Riverside metro area, this is I think uh, somewhere in California. Uh, that's the lowest of formal volunteerism, 9%. Pretty close to hell right there. Um, but Miami, Miami metro area, 14%. It's the, it's the lowest after that one, okay? In formal volunteer, volunteerism and an informal 35%, 35.5%. That's the lowest in all other metropolitan areas. Now, this is a shame. Now, think about this. You know why this is so concerning to me? Because when I moved to Miami 15 years ago, Fifteen years ago, and we were talking about the vision of CrossBridge Church of being a church for the city to care for the needs of those who live in the marginal places of our city, those who are the most vulnerable in our city. The fir- one of the first articles that I read when I was doing research in Miami of how to do that was one that says that Miami scored lowest in voluntarism. Look, this this has year the date july twenty seven sunday july twenty seven two thousand and eight what does the article say? This is in the, the times I think Miami ranks last in volunteering in fifteen years. very little has changed because we live in a city that 's obsessed with image we 're obsessed with ourselves we don 't have time to look anywhere else but to ourselves and it 's very hard for us, therefore to live counterculturally, because this stuff is preached at us and to us on a daily basis. It's encouraged by the way in which our neighbors live and our friends live. Oh, they're living that way. I must live that way as well. I can't stay outside. You see why it's so hard for us to exercise empathy? It's not just because we have a condition called sin that turns us into ourselves, but because there is a system around us encouraging us in that direction. And what I want to tell you here today is like, people really don't need your opinions, people need your compassion, people need your time, people in the city need your empathetic gestures. Which leads us to the last point, and that is, how can we build capacity? If we understand that this is a problem of ours, a deep problem of ours, and yet a great need of all of us as well, how can we create empathy to become this kind of community? There's four things that I want to go through with you really quickly And to the degree that uh, you follow this, there will be capacity built in you so that you will become more empathetic towards others. First, ask God to open your eyes to see Himself. Are you able to truly see Jesus in this narrative and in this story? It's astounding. When I read this passage and I spent time meditating on this passage, here's what I noticed. I noticed that there's not only two hunchback types in this story, but there's a third one too. Let me come down here to show you how this works. i ask my good friend, to. can you help me out here? You're going to be the prop. I, th- I didn't tell him that he was going to be the prop today. But can you emulate a bent-over person? Like, coming in church, like, so let's say this is you. You're, you're, you're lifting your head, obviously, to see, but this is your perspective. The text tells us that Jesus did four steps, right? That he um, notices the woman. He asks her to draw near. He speaks words of blessings to her. He touches her, and then she's healed. And I I was imagining how Jesus did this. And I I can't imagine that Jesus would have done this and spoken to the woman as she had drawn near to him. I couldn't imagine Jesus doing that. Not with all of the other passages that I read in scripture. How he healed the blind man and the deaf man. I I can't see Jesus doing this. This is how I imagine Jesus interacting with this woman. He notices her. He calls her. She comes to him. He does this. He bends over to where she is at, and he looks her in the eyes because Jesus is not going to look down on this woman. He's going to look her in the eyes, and he touches her after speaking to her, and then she's healed. Thank you, Beth. Great acting. Do you see what I'm saying? Can't you see the bent-over Savior coming in our direction. See, the inability to enter someone's dark and painful space is because we have the inability to connect their experience to an experience in our lives. And what this means is it's to the degree that you see Jesus moving in your direction this way when Everyone was repulsed by some of the things that you have done or the person that you had become, repulsed by your past. He bit over, he inclined his ears, and he addressed you at your level. He loved on you. And when no one wanted to to touch you, he touched you. He healed you so that you can see. If you've never had that experience, it's going to be very hard for you to be an empathetic person, for you to do this type of soul travel that Jesus is constantly doing here. I mean, this is what Jesus did on the cross, right? On his way to the cross, what was the Savior doing carrying the cross? Not erect, but bent over for our sakes because he identifies with sinners. If you're here today and you're like, uh, no one understands me. I feel misunderstood. No one shows compassion towards me. I want to tell you that the Savior does. And if you haven't seen the Savior move towards you in that direction, ask him to open your eyes so that you can truly see him today. He wants to open your eyes. Then, then, only after then, ask God to open your eyes to others. After he opens your eyes for you to see him, ask him to open your eyes so that you're able to see others. For you to sense the pain around you. For you to be moved by that. For you to have the strength and the power to draw near You know, oftentimes when I'm doing my pre-sermon run, and some of you guys know this, every Sunday I I go out on a jog and I'm revisiting my notes and and the sermon, but I, I have a prayer too. I say, God, as I'm running, allow me to feel the pain and the longings of the people that will be there, that I will communicate the message to. And oftentimes as I'm making that walk to the stage, as that bumper video is playing, you know, I'm overwhelmed by the sense of pain that exists in a room such as this. And it's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives me, not every time, but a lot of times, to be able to identify to where you are at so that truth can be spoken into your reality. And I've been thinking about this today. It's like, but why don't I pray this every day? God, why do I only do that on Sunday? Because this is the formal time that I have to do this, but I do talk to people on a daily basis, and God said, Yeah, maybe you should. And why don't you as well ask God to see like he does for him to loosen up the tight religious muscles that keep your spiritual back bent. Ask him to do that. Loosen up, oh Jesus, my tight religious back muscles so that I can be erect and see people around me. Pray for that. Ask him for that. Then thirdly, draw near. Don't stay on the outside, but draw near. Don't observe and just keep going and moving. Stop. I I think it's fascinating that Jesus does this in the middle of a worship service. It's fantastic. And that's probably why the religious Pharisees and the pastors and elders at that time got angry at him. It's like, you're interrupting the service for this one woman? Come on, man, we have a schedule here. (laughs) I know that if I did that, if I focus on somebody and started to address that person in the middle of the service, you're like, oh, I'm leaving. All right, thanks. My day, this is is over for me. Because Jesus is being disruptive. And Jesus is like, hang on, hang on. Let me ask you a question. You have a problem with this, huh? Yeah, I have a deep problem with you interrupting our religious hour to do this. Can't you do this on the other six days of the week? He says, wait a minute. So before you came to church, I know this as a fact because I saw you. You untied your donkey and your cows and you took it to the field and you gave it food and water. And you spent an hour doing that. And that was on the Sabbath. And we can't do this here at church, there was another mic drop. Because they probably saw that woman, saw that they had a, she had a problem, but the religious, the tight religious structure prevented them from doing anything because that's the only interaction they had with her was on Sundays in the religious box. And uh, I pray that you would also realize that you can't just notice and feel. You have to draw near. And you have to extend your hands and direct your words like Jesus does here. What does he do? He speaks healing into her and then he touches her. How is God calling you to speak healing and encouragement into people? How, does God, how is God calling you to exercise compassion towards others? Compassion is also within the circle of empathy. Compassion is empathy acted out. How is he asking you to show compassion with words and with deeds? My prayer here today is, number one, if you have not seen or experienced the empathy of God towards you, that you would here today in a deep way. Maybe you have and you have forgotten, but that God would, through his spirit, remind you of that fact, of how he moved in your direction in the same way that he moved in this woman's direction. And then I also pray for those of you who are here today, who form this beautiful church family, that we would have a desire to be an empathetic community so that our community, our church, would be healthier, our families would be healthier, our marriages would be healthier, and as a result, our city would be healthier as well. And we may revert those evil statistics. It starts with us. Let's pray for that. You bow your heads with me. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge our self-centeredness. how sin has bent us over on ourselves. And all we can see is ourselves. What I want, what I like, my dreams. Father, allow us to see the, the reality around us, the pain around us. Father, start by reminding us of the fact that you saw our pain, that you saw our brokenness, that you identified with us, that you healed us because you've touched us. Father, we want to be this people that models that, in the context of our homes, of our neighborhoods, of our city and beyond. Help us through the gospel, through the power of the gospel to be empathetic types, to be able to easily do some soul traveling. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The feeding is not over. We are before the table that Jesus has set for his disciples, which in extension says you and I, this table was set for people originally who are as broken and messed up as we are, but the savior loved on them and he identified with them as he today is loving on us and identifying with us. Uh, This is a table that he has designed to be eaten from until the day that he returns so that our souls can be nourished in the meantime. I believe that there is power for empathy as we partake of the elements of this table because uh, the words of institution of this table are uh, deep words of empathy, when Jesus says, "This is my body broken for you, and this is my blood spilled for you." I want you to eat it, and I want you to drink this in remembrance of me. Every time that we come together and we eat of this table, we drink of this table, uh, we are reminded of the deep love and the deep compassion of the Savior for us as people.